I am a huge fan of Starbucks, but not their coffee. In fact, I've never even tried Starbucks coffee nor any other coffee for that matter. But I became a fan of Starbucks when I read a book entitled, It's Not About, a Co it's not about the Coffee. And then not too long after that, I, I, I read another book called The Starbucks Experience. And then, and then a little bit after that, I read another book about Starbucks called Onward, which was written by the founder, Howard Schultz. All three books are about the Starbucks coffee company. It seems weird for someone who, who has never actually even tried coffee to have read three books on the, the company of Starbucks. Why would, why would I do that? Well, I did that because I read an article about how the foundation of Starbucks's uh, business was that they wanted to become the third place in people's lives. Third place is a sociology-inspired concept referring to a, another place outside the home and outside of work where, where people can gather and there they can build a sense of community. And Starbucks had this vision of becoming people's third place. This principle of being a place where, where people can build a community uh, is still part of the Starbucks DNA. The top value on their website is creating a culture of warmth and belonging where everyone is welcome. If you watched last week's sermon, we talked about we want to be a place where people say that is a place where everyone can connect. Howard Schultz was able to build a company because he understood something. He was able to build this empire that's now worth $88 billion because he understood something. People want a place. They want a, want a place where they can gather with a small group of people to build relationships. I find it a little bit sad that, that companies have figured this out before sometimes local churches because this is actually also a foundation of Christianity. In the very first book of the Bible, in the second chapter, Genesis chapter 2, we read about this foundational principle of God's people. Genesis 1 and 2 are the, the story of creation. In Genesis 1, there is this, this airplane view, this broad overview of creation. And then in Genesis 2, the writer of Scripture narrows down, narrows in on the crowning aspect of creation, the, the creation of humanity. In Genesis 1, we are told over and over again, it was good, it was good. And then, of course, God says, finally, it was very good. But in chapter 2, we actually learn that there is something that is not good. As God narrowed in on the creation story, before sin had entered the earth, before anything had gone wrong, before, before humanity had stepped away from God, God actually said in his own creation story that there was something that was not good. Genesis 1, good, 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 very good. Genesis 2, but there was something that was not good. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is is not good that the man should be alone. It is not good that the man should be alone. Now, most of us have heard this text in the context of marriage or a, or a marriage illustration or a, 
a marriage sermon. But is that the sum total of this text? Was this text simply communicating that, that the ideal that we should strive for is marriage? If so, then, then several of God's prophets did not strive for God's ideal. If, if, if the sum total of this text that, that it is not good for man to be alone means that, well, that means everyone must go and get married, then, then, then Paul did not strive for God's ideal. If that's the case, then, then Jesus himself did not strive for God's ideal. That must mean that that, that that is not the sum total of what God meant within the context of that scripture. It seems to me that the ideal that God is trying to communicate is that it's not good for humans to be without human relationship. Yes, marriage is a profound illustration of the importance of relationships, but when God said it is not good for man to be alone, I don't think he was limiting it or saying that it was all resolved simply within the context of marriage. He was there communicating the thing that Howard Schultz tapped into thousands of years later when he, when he created Starbucks. The, the idea that, that humans were made for relationship. John Ortberg Wrote the, uh, wrote the following about this text. He says, what is striking is that the fall has not yet occurred. He's speaking of Genesis chapter two and verse 18. There is no sin, no disobedience, nothing to mar the relationship between God and man. The human being is in a state of perfect intimacy with God. Each word he and God speak with each other is filled with closeness and joy. The Bible tells us that he walks with God in the garden in the cool of the day. He is known and loved to the core of his being by his omniscient, love-filled creator. Yet the word God uses to describe Adam is alone. And God says this aloneness is not good. Orberg goes on. Sometimes in church circles, when, when people feel lonely, we will tell them not to expect too much from human relationships, that there is inside every human being a God-shaped void that no other person can feel. That is true, but apparently, according to the writer of Genesis, God creates inside this man a kind of human-shaped void, void that God himself will not fill. No substitute will fill this need in you for human relationship, not money, not achievement, not busyness, not books, not even God himself. Even though this man was in a state of sinless perfection, he was alone and God himself said it was not good. Y'all, when I read, read those words, I was hit with a, with a bolt of conviction because I began to think about all the times that I've told people and I've told them time and time and time again, we don't go to church for the people. I've told people time and time again, don't choose a church based on the people. People are sinners. They will let you down. So, so don't choose a church based on that. I've told people time and time again that, that don't look at the people because it's not about the people. It's only about God and God filling that void in your life. But in a perfect world without sin, God said, I'm putting inside humanity a, a void that I will not feel, that can only be filled by the connection of other humanity. 
God said man was alone, was not in sin, but alone. And God said, still without sin, this is not good. Could it be that church is supposed to help us find God to fill the the God-shaped void in our lives, but also to find people to help us fill the human-shaped void that God himself has chosen not to fill. God said being alone is not good. Why is this? And why do I believe that, that, that the church, in the context of it being a single event, will never help us to fill that void? Church must become, become more than just a singular event, but it must also take on the aspect of filling that human void. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. We've been talking about small gatherings, small groups, small companies. As Ellen White said, she was shown by one many times by one who cannot err that in a large church, several individuals should be gathered together in small companies to support those in the church and to serve those outside of the church. The church is not supposed to only be the antidote to the God-sized void that's in our lives, but, but also it's to help us find and fill the human-sized void, I believe, as well in our lives. We all need this. Maybe we don't even fully recognize this, but we all need this. But, but why is it not good for humanity to be alone? And why is the church the place in which I believe God wants us to go to fill that void? Not, not Starbucks, although... People like to do that there. Not, not Panera. I go to Panera and I see little groups of people all gathered together. Not now during COVID, but, but before COVID. This is, this is why bars are so popular. Some of you may remember the television show Cheers and, and everyone remembers the theme song. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. It was this, this thing that resonated with people. People are looking for places to fill that void. But I believe the church is a place most of all that God wants us to, to experiencing that void being filled. Why do I put such a high value on the church being the place? Well, because Jesus put a high value on it, because the Bible puts a high value on it. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter one and verse 18, that he, that Jesus is the head of the body, his body, the church. Jesus defines the church as, as an entity that is, that is intimately connected to him. Jesus said his body is the church. Now let me clarify again. It is not the event that sometimes people call church. That is not the singularity of of church. That's one aspect of being a part of the church. The people that gather are the church. We gather to worship and we gather to fill that human-shaped void. It can't be either or. It needs to be both and. Jesus said something very important about these people that worship with him. And Jesus expanded the high value of those that, that worship with him while he was leaving, living. One time when Jesus was doing some teaching, uh, his brother and his mothers came to find him. And you find this in the book of Luke. You can find it in Matthew and Mark as well. But, but in the book of Luke, specifically chapter 8, is what I'm thinking of. And, and Jesus is teaching, and, and the, his brother and his mother come to find him, come to get him because he's kind of embarrassing them because he's, he's 
kind of causing a stir. And all these people are around there listening to Jesus, and, and someone comes in and says, your mother and your brothers have come to get you. And Jesus answers them and says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In other words, Jesus said the believers in the church, the, the believers in, in this circle are my family. Jesus elevates the church. Jesus elevates fellow believers in our lives to a whole nether level. So when we are seeking to leave our aloneness, it is within the relationship of the church, within the relationship of fellow believers that, that people should most be able to find the, the missing piece to that void in their lives. And yet we know that that's oftentimes not the case. So we are trying to say, okay, as a church, we need to make that a place. Last week, again, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon on our Spencerville YouTube uh, channel if you have not done so. But we talked about how we want to be a church where everyone can connect. Where everyone can find a place in relationships to fill that human-shaped void that God put in us, that God put on us, that only can happen in the midst of smaller communities, smaller gatherings, smaller companies of people. It won't happen when we're sitting in a giant room not talking to someone. It can only happen in the context of relationship. If you don't understand this again, why this is true, again, go back and listen to last week's sermon. But why is alone bad? We should do, I believe that we should make, fill that human void at the, the church level, but, but why is alone bad? In fact, some of us like certain aspects of being alone, and I'm not talking about that it's, you always need to be with someone, but, but why is the overall concept of, of alone bad? And why do each of us need to be together in some sort of community to be bonded, to be connected? I'm gonna give you a few quick reasons, and then I will sit down. Alone is not good, because we are more spiritually vulnerable when we are alone. Alone is not good because we are more spiritually vulnerable when we are alone. Psalm 44 is a psalm about the people of God wandering away from him. And it's a description of these people as they wander away from God. And the psalmist is saying, God, we, we need to be brought back. We're, we're a wandering people. And, and God describes in, in the scriptures there, these people are described like this in verse 11. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. The Bible here describes vulnerable sheep as sheep that are, that are not connected to others. They're, they're scattered. They're, they're not connected to others. When Jesus told the parable in Matthew chapter 18 about a man with 100 sheep and 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 one of those sheep gets separated from the other 99. And what does the shepherd do? He, he goes, he leaves the 99 who are safe together and goes to find the one lost sheep. Yes, the parable is about mission and about seeking and saving the lost, but it is also actually illustrates the value of relationship. It illustrates the value of relationship. He trusts that he can leave those other 99 because they are connected to each other. They're in relationship with one another. But right now, there's one out there that is, that is vulnerable, that is not connected, that is not in relationship with anyone else. And he must go find that one. 
It's about witnessing and about, about seeking and saving the lost, but it's also about the strength of relationships. When we are on our own and not in some sort of community like that, we become more spiritually vulnerable. We need each other in community because it helps us with some of our own natural tendencies and natural flaws, our challenges that we face just because of our sinful nature. I think it's safe to say, I know it's true about me, and I think it's safe to say it's true about almost every human, that we are naturally selfish. We naturally want what we want. We naturally strive for the things that we strive for. Uh, sometimes, regardless of what anyone else thinks. But the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that we are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let us look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul here is writing to the church in Philippi. He's writing to a group of believers and he's saying, hey, don't, don't operate as a church in a selfish way. Count others as more, more significant than yourselves. Look at, at what the others want and not just your own interests, but also the interests of others. This is all st stuff that happens only within the context really of relationship. Within the context of relationship. I can't know. I can't know what, what, what you value or what, what might be of interest to you or the direction you might wanna go if I don't have a relationship with you. If, 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 if a husband and wife stop communicating, if two friends stop communicating, there's this, this void that begins to, to separate, to, to, to come between them. And suddenly it becomes more about what I want and more about what I want and no longer about what the other wants. When we don't have others around us that we need to defer to, we start to think what we want matters more than what anyone else wants. We start to do things out of personal conceit. I cannot live out this clear teaching of considering others before myself if I am not in relationship with others. This is just one sin. So many other sins are impacted by sinful traits that we have in us are, are impacted by isolation. Those who, who, who are more isolated, we find they struggle more and more with, with pornography. Those who are, who are isolated, we, struggle, we find that they, they struggle more and more with, with greed or with pride. There's all kinds of things. These things are all part of, of being isolated. Connecting with others, feeling that human void that God put in each one of us helps us with our sin problem. We need to exist in true community not only because of, of protects us from being spiritually vulnerable, not only because it helps us to address some of the sin issues that we have in our life, but, but we need to exist in true community with others for even our, our physical health. In the book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, the writer shares the following research. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times 
more likely to die of a younger age than those with strong relational conviction or connections. People who had bad, listen to this, people who had bad health habits, smoking, they list some, smoking, poor dietary habits, obesity, alcohol use, but had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were isolated with very few relationships. In other words, the author wrote, it is better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Of course, for our health principles, I would say it's better to eat broccoli with good friends and live even longer in, in that manner. We need relationships, intimate relationships with others, because by doing so, we're actually strengthening and building up our own health, our own health. We're mentally stronger, we're, we're, we're emotionally stronger, and as we have a po more positive outlook on life, our, our health improves because of relationships. There's all kinds of studies out there you can, you can read about, about, about babies who, who were never held, who were never touched, who, who socially don't develop the way they should, who, who mentally don't develop the way they should, who, who physically don't develop the way they should. God created us to be in connection. Before there was ever sin, God said, Adam is alone and it is not good. God knew that we needed for our, our spiritual protection uh, to overcome the sin problem. For our physical health, we needed to be connected to others. We needed to be connected to others. And then finally, I believe we need intimate human relationships because by doing so, we are actually reflecting our true selves and who we were truly made to be. We are living out the image of the one who made us. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. There's a plurality there. God is not, not singular. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God exists in community. The, the three are, are one. Three, three beings and yet, yet one purpose and, and, and united in mission and cause. Let us make man in our image, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And then the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 that God, so God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of God. That, that is who we were designed to be. We were designed to, to reflect and to look like and to exist in the same type of community and relationship that God is. The, the image of God can be reflected and people have speculated on what that means and, and what that is, but, but, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the image of God and we serve, we worship, we are made in the image of God that exists in relationship and how is that relationship defined? Two times in the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 and 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says this, God is love. What does the image of God look like? God is love. You cannot experience love. You cannot uh, express and, and, and emanate the true image of God unless you are in relationship with someone else because it is about love. And we don't love without connection to others. My friend and fellow pastor, Ty Gibson, 
in his latest book called The Heavenly Trio wrote this, the love that defines God's own covenantal reality within the Trinity is to define the fellowship of the church. The love that defines God's own covenantal reality within the Trinity is to define the fellowship of the church. In other words, I cannot live out the principle of the image I was made in, the image of love, if I'm not in relationship within that body of Christ. Starbucks became the most popular third place, third space in the world because they discovered the void that God put in each of us at creation. And, and they tried to come up with some sort of, sort of way to fill that relationship-shaped void that existed within our society. The church can and should be the most popular third place in the world because it is the body of Christ. It's not, it's not made by Howard Schultz or, or, or by some, some other human mind. It is, it is actually the, the creation of God himself. We should be that third place for people. And in that, we will find protection spiritually. We'll find strength to help us to overcome sin. We'll find health benefits to our lives and, and we'll find that we're truly made in living out the image that we were made in, the image of relationship, the image of love. I believe this happens best when we, even though we are large, we look for opportunities to be small. That, that in smaller groups, we can be less, we can be more vulnerable and more protected. In, in smaller groups, we, we, we have to put away some of our selfishness and, and be more giving and, and think of others. In, in smaller groups, we have people that, that help us with our health and even just knowing that others care about us build up, builds up our health. In smaller groups, we learn how to live out the image of God, the image of love. We need each other. That's why we've been inviting you every single week to, to go to uh, the website you'll see on screen, spencervillechurch.org slash smallgroups, and to sign up to be a part of a small group. A bunch of you did last week, and praise God, and maybe God's still been impressing this upon you. You don't have to meet in person. You can meet through Zoom. I know some of our Sabbath schools are already, already look like small groups, and some of you are already in small groups. Let us know about that. But we, we want a place where every single one of us can connect, and it's not just because it's the way God designed the church, and it's not just the way that God should that God desires to structure the church and the leadership of the church. It's because it is a blessing to you. It's for your own blessing, for your own health, for your own well-being. I can testify to the validity of that statement. When Christine and I first got married, we were immediately moved to Berrien Springs, Michigan at Andrews University, uh, to Andrews University at Berrien Springs, Michigan. I was going to the seminary there. And, and those first couple years of marriage were, were, were a challenge. I would say not even the first couple years. Those first few months of marriage were a challenge. Christina had suddenly become an adult. She was going to work. She was working nights at the hospital. And I was still being a college student. I was golfing until the sun went down, and then I was going to to the local Denny's or wherever. I was going to watch sports with my friends and, and, and there was just all this, this tension. And I could feel this tension. I felt that, that we weren't connecting. I was, 
I was desperate to figure something out. Here we're newly married and there's this struggle that we're having. And what are we going to do? And I overheard someone talking about that the church was going to be starting small groups. And so I found out what pastor was leading that and I went to Pastor Esther Knott and I, and I went to her office and I said, Pastor Knott, can Christina and I be a part of a small group? And she said, well, actually, the small groups aren't open yet. We're just doing it for the leaders and doing it as a training. And we're really looking for people that are going to be here long term so that they can continue it. And I said, please, I need this. She said, well, let me pray about it. And soon after that, I got an email. I got a message. Chad, come join us in our small group. And Christine and I joined the small group. And we were close to 20 years younger than the next person in the group that we were in. But week after week for that whole year, in the midst of all the other challenges, there was this, this respite. The only place really that we got invited over to eat were, were these people in this group. When we needed to cry, when we needed to express frustration, it was, it was within this group. Truly, I believe that it was, a, it was maybe a relationship-saving thing for Christina and I to, to have this this group. And I just did it out of desperation. Please let us in. Trying to figure something out. And there was still chaos and there were still challenges of, of, of discovering that, that newly married state. But, but within that, there was this respite, this, this healthy family that taught us how to love, that modeled for us love towards us and cared for us. Folks, we all need that. We all need that. We may not even realize we need it, but we do. And so I want to encourage you to, to whether you do it yourself, find a small group of believers to connect with, or, or you need our help in doing it. But we want everybody in our church family connected to others so that we can live out the full image that God creates to live out, the image of love and care and to fill that human-shaped void that God put in us at the very beginning. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you for your love for us, but, but how we're so uniquely made. You made us to actually need others, which is amazing. And maybe you did that just because you knew that, that, that if we loved one another, that we would better understand your love. Maybe you did that because you saw the challenges that we would have and you, you knew that sometimes we would walk away from you and that, and that if there were other humans around us, they could draw us in. You knew that because you knew, maybe you did that because you knew in this sinful world that, that the aloneness, that the sorrow would grow even deeper at times under the weight of Satan. And you said, man, they need someone to come and to love them. Lord, I don't know why you, you made us this way, but you did. And so, and so Lord, may we understand that, that we don't have to do this world in isolation. We don't have to look for the Starbucks or, or the other place, but Lord, may we, may we find true fulfillment in the presence of you and in the presence of fellow believers, Jesus. Not to be exclusive to those outside, but, but to find support and strength for, to love those outside better to serve them better, to care for them better. I thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen.